Well, my goal today was to see if we could end the year with what Proverbs 31 calls defiant mirth. Okay? In the book of Proverbs 30, or in Proverbs 31, it talks about like the, the most amazing woman you've ever seen from A to Z. She has her complete act together. And one of my favorite lines in that passage, it says, she laughs at the time to come. She laughs at the time to come. And the idea is that this woman is like, she's so wise. She's connected so strongly to God that nothing can phase her. She laughs at the times to come. It's like the world throws things, life happens, all kinds of things break. And she just laughs because she knows that life can't conquer her. And so I was trying to think through, like, how can we take 2020 and maybe put a little bit of a bow on it? Not because we haven't suffered, but in the midst of our suffer, can we have defiant mirth against even this last year? And so it occurred to me, let's just ask the question, why? Why 2020? Um, it's been a crazy year, right? How do we make sense of this? Um, so much chaos, confusion, and conflict. We're asking the question, why 2020? And so shout out to our kids who are tuned in online. Uh, kids who are online, have you ever asked something? Uh, there's a question that adults ask. Maybe you ask this when something bad happens. You ever ask, God, why would you do this? God, why? It's a really honest question. And like I said, adults ask this question too. Um, when we read the Bible, we also want to learn a slightly different question. Um, there's a question that is it's sort of related to that question, but it's a different kind of question that can really help you grow in your faith and your relationship with God. And it's this, it's this, it's a little bit different. It's God, what good will you bring out of this? God, what good will you bring out of this? And so there's a faith deepening shift that I want to encourage all of you to make. So I want you to go from God, why did you do all this in 2020? Um, I want you to move from that question, shift to God, what good did you bring in all of this in 2020? Like that's the question that I want us to wrestle with. Now, I do want to encourage you, if you're still in the God, why did you do this? Like that's okay. Because any question that we have, any question that we honestly feel is a question that we can go to God with. Okay, God is willing and eager to take all of our questions as a loving heavenly father. If we ask sort of the wrong question, or if we ask a question that indicates that our faith isn't as mature, God loves us. And our honesty with him is actually more important to him than us getting the words right. And so you ask whatever you feel like you need to ask God, okay? But this other question of God, what good... Um, did you bring through all of this from 2020 is a question that will help us to draw nearer to God. Um, it'll help us even to line up with maybe more the way the Bible talks about um, how God reacts to things that are really bad that happen in our lives. And so um, usually the question, when you ask that question, um, when you say, God, why'd you do this? Um, there's a very careful answer that God gives to us. Very careful answer that comes to us um, from the Bible. And, and the answer is careful from God because he cares for you. 
God really cares about you. And so when you ask why, he's got a, he's got a careful answer. It's got really three parts to it. The first part of God's answer when you ask why is God usually begins by saying, I get it. And I'm sorry it hurts. That's the first thing that God says. And it's important for us to know that that's what he says, that God says, I get it and I'm sorry it hurts. Because so often people that they're in their zeal to defend God, they're in their zeal to like make God okay or righteous in the light of bad things that happen. And that's obviously a good desire, but God is willing to say, look, I get it. I'm sorry it hurts. That life is hard. Life is frustrating. Um, and even if there is a good answer, even if there is a reasonable explanation for why something bad happened, God's initial response to you is still, I'm sorry about the way that you're hurting. I'm sorry that you've been hurt. And so God sits with us in our pain. And that's, that's important. It's a huge deal. Jesus did this in John 11 at the tomb of Lazarus. Um, he wept with Lazarus' family even though he knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead. And so God says first, I get it, I'm sorry it hurts. Um, the second part of God's careful answer to you when you ask the question why is God says, real life has real consequences. He says, real life has real consequences. There are consequences to the good and the bad things that you do. And very often there's a tangle of decisions that have been made by lots of people, lots of different people that have brought about the broken situation that you're in. God says, look, I've made you in my image. And part of being made in my image is that you have agency. You have a freedom to choose your pathway in life. And not just you, but everybody else in your lives. Everyone, and even people that aren't in your life, but people who are over you, your political leaders have agency and they can make decisions. And so this means that what you do matters and there are real consequences. And some are good, some are bad, because some of, your, some of, the, some of the decisions that you make either move you closer to me or move you farther away from me. And so sometimes people in situations can become examples to the world and examples to my people so that you can see the consequences of evil, of narcissism, of harming other people. And so God says, look, real life has real consequences. And then the third thing that God says is, look, this isn't my fault, but I'm here to help. God says, this isn't my fault, but I'm here to help. And this last part, God wants us to know that he's near to us. He's with us. He's actively working. He's not far away. He's not distant. He's, he's eager to be with us in this. And he wants us to become people who bring both a realness about the brokenness of life, but also people who can see God working, who can see where God is and can see God's purpose and the goodness that he brings and he invites all of us with defiant mirth to become those people as this year ends. People who can stand with God in the midst of all the brokenness, who can see God's goodness in the midst of all the things that are wrong. And so God's inviting all of us to become these people today.
So the Bible understands this threefold careful answer of God, and it gives us passages in the Bible that help us to meet God in the midst of difficult circumstances and in the midst of suffering. And Romans 8, verses 28 to 31 is one of these passages. And so we're going to read this passage and then try to apply it to some of the craziness of this year. Romans 8, verses 28 to 31, it's in your bulletin. It says this, the first verse is famous. Everybody knows this verse. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. And so this verse here, this makes it clear that God is here to help in everything. That God is working everything together for good. That he is bringing good out of all things. That it's not his fault, but he's here to help. Verse 29 goes on and says, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So this verse describes God's main method of working all things together for good. This verse says that God's plan, he has a plan for his people. He has a plan for your life. You might not know this, but in the midst of all of the things that are wrong, all the things that are broken, all the things that are frustrating for you, God has a plan for your life. And his plan is that if he loves you, he wants to make you like Jesus. If he loves you, he wants to make you like Jesus. He wants to conform you to the image of his son. And this is really encouraging, right? Because if we could get to a place where we would grow to act toward God and toward others like Jesus did, man, we'd be part of what was right in the world, wouldn't we? It means, this means living for God in a way that to be true, like again, it's not just sort of moral character, but it's also the way that Jesus lived. And so to be conformed to the image of Jesus, God's plan for us is often, it often means living for God in a way that's often misunderstood by the people around you. That's sometimes ridiculed by the people around you, even persecuted, because that's what happened to Jesus. And so this means living for God and seeing his goodness and his purposes worked out even in the suffering and in the broken things. It often means being willing to take responsibility, to step up and say, look, I've been hurt, but you know what? I'm going to love and I'm going to forgive the people around me. I'm going to make a commitment to absorb more punishment than I dish out that the relationships that I have are going to be characterized by grace that flows from me to others because that's how Jesus lived. I think this is one of the most powerful ways that God conforms us to the image of Jesus and brings good into our lives. That anytime anything bad happens to you, you now have an opportunity to respond with trust in God, that he knows what he's doing, and with a, with, a, with a desire for you to respond with goodness, that you'd respond to evil with goodness because that brings more of Jesus into the world. All right, then next, verses 30 and 31 says, and those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? And so these verses tell us that in all of our lives, even in the suffering, God has a plan. 
that God called us to himself. God called us to become part of his family. And then he justifies us. He accepts us as righteous in his sight. He forgives all of our sins and he both accepts us and then he vindicates us. We will be vindicated before the world. We will be vindicated and, and, and we will be declared before the world as being right. Time will show that we are right to believe in Jesus. And God is going to bring all of us who believe in Jesus and he's going to make us perfect in the future. And so if God has this plan for us and no one can thwart his plan and his plan is as sure as his power is, then who can be against us? If God is for us like this, if he's on our side, then nothing and no one can shake our security in him. And so this is the promise of Romans 8, the end of Romans 8. It says these things, and if we can apply this, what if we tried to apply this to the biggest challenges of 2020? And, and as we look at them, I want to focus on the good that God is bringing through them. So I'm not trying to be insensitive because some of the things that we're going to talk about are painful, they're aggravating, they have brought out all of the negative emotions in many of us. And I'm not trying to be insensitive to that. There's been a lot of pain and a lot of suffering. There's been isolation and even death. But God cares. God cares. He suffers with us when we're hurt and he says, I'm here to help. I'm here to help. And so I just want to look at three of the big things that hit us this year. First, I want to look at the coronavirus. The coronavirus. And ask the question, what good did God bring from this and again, I want to say first that God says, look, I see how difficult this has been. I see all of the awfulness. I see the sickness and the death. I see the families that are separated. It has been awful. But in this, in response to the coronavirus, I think one aspect of good that has come from the virus is that it shows us just how much we need God. It shows us how dependent we are on God. Because we've seen this year, haven't we, how little control we have? That a virus like this could come in, and even knowing that it came, we couldn't do anything about it. You remember the early reports, you know, the early times when there was like a case or 10 cases in this country, you know, and with all of the effort and all of the might and the, you know, the best wisdom and some of the lack of wisdom and some of the leaders that have made decisions about all of this, like we now know that a virus can come in and radically disrupt everything. I mean, this virus has shown us just how little is secure apart from God. But, but when we pray and we walk with God, his promise begins to come true and we're closer to God and we see that we need a relationship with him. We see his goodness, that he still cares for us and that he's with us and that he is caring for his people who love him and are called according to his purpose. God has demonstrated his goodness even in the midst of our people who have gotten the virus, even in the midst of people that we know and love who have died from the virus. And so the virus has shown us how much we need God. I think secondly, the other good thing that I've seen come out of this is this virus proves to us how interconnected we are. 
so many of us, we sort of build our lives. We're like silos. And as an effort to control things, as an effort to be in control, as an effort to try to have some semblance of, of I don't know, of autonomy or, or just control in our lives, we try to build our lives as though other people like don't matter. That only our life matters. But this virus shows us that we're all connected. That the things that have been done thousands and thousands of miles away from us have directly impacted us. And this virus, I think, shows us in a much more real way than we live on a day-to-day basis that we are all connected. That the things that you do matter to the people around you. The way that you mask or don't mask, the way that you behave or don't behave, the way, like, I mean, the virus is a picture of this, right? That the virus shows us that we're all connected. It shows us that what we do matters. And I think that when we remember this, when we remember that it's not just whether we take safety protocols about not spreading the virus, but when you think about like how you treat other people, whether you're going to spread love or spread hate, whether you're going to get angry and sin against people in your anger, or you're going to be compassionate and kind. Like what you do matters. And this virus is a very clear picture. And God is showing us how connected we are through all of this. I think remembering this moves us to love others more. It moves us to realize that everyone that we see matters. Everyone we ought to care about. And I think it's God's goodness to wake us up to this. And so this is just a couple things on the coronavirus. Um, I think beyond that, we have, um, beyond the coronavirus, one of the other things that hit us this year was, was all the racial conflict, right? The racial conflict. What good has come from this? Race, division, and anger have boiled over this year and really erupted. Um, issues that have been talked about for a long time have finally made their way into like the national conversation. Um, things that haven't been dealt with sufficiently have taken center stage. And I think that God has brought good through this. Um, one of the things that I think has been good is that first, it's good for us to have an honest diagnosis. Like it's good for us not to be hiding behind things or, or covering over things, right? Sometimes the good that God brings is he shows us how unhealthy we've become so that we'll deal with it. I think um, beyond just having an honest diagnosis, I think that the racial unrest has brought to us another good, and that good is that caring answers that listen are what bring good. Okay, caring answers that listen are what bring good. We have seen through this year that simplistic answers only further polarize. Simplistic answers just make things worse. It's really hard to have nuanced discussions. It is so hard to try to understand both sides of a complicated issue and have a discussion that doesn't lead into you just trying to remember, like, remember the best like, bullet point arguments from the person that you respect who talks about this stuff in a way that's a lot better than you when you talk about this stuff, right? Um, and I've seen both conservatives and liberals, media companies on both sides, try to use simplistic answers to paint themselves as saints and the other side as evil. 
And again, this makes the problem worse. Some of the good that God has brought through this is that it, she's shown us that we need deeper and more nuanced answers. We need caring answers that listen. That's what actually brings good into conversations, into the bitterness, into the fighting, into the strife. When we try to understand other people, that is God's goodness that we are bringing in. I think another good that God has brought out of the racial unrest that's boiled over um, is that we've seen that caring for the anger and the helplessness in blacks and whites brings good. So caring for the anger and the helplessness in both blacks and whites brings good. Because we have black brothers and sisters who are angry and they don't know how to help white people wake up to the problems that exist today. And they feel helpless in that. And then we have white brothers and sisters who don't see the problem. Then we have other white brothers and sisters who see the problem, but don't know how to make things better. And when we see and we care about people who are angry and helpless, when we see them, when we say things like God says to us, I get it, I'm sorry that this hurts. When we care about people where they are, when we care about how people feel, God's goodness spreads. And then the last way I think from racial, the racial conflict that, that we've seen goodness, God's goodness in this, is that we are taking new steps. So as a church, Jesus has led us as a church in new ways to grow our relationship with black and Hispanic churches and organizations in our city. Now we're being more intentional. Um, we've received the one family special offering. We've received our Christmas offering. And these are going to have significant impact toward us caring for our black and Hispanic brothers and sisters. And we're just starting. There's more to come in the new year. All right, then the last thing that I want to look at in the big picture we saw the coronavirus, we've seen the racial unrest. The last thing is politics. Like the political landscape and God, what good have you brought from this? And there's nothing. So we just need to end right now. And God's like, even, well, politics, forget it. Like, don't, no, I got nothing for you. Just kidding. Just kidding. Um, God says to our political situation, this is not my fault but I'm here to help. There are people who are claiming to follow me and making the problem worse. They're not my fault, but I'm here to help. Okay? Um, Jesus, in his life, said things that, that help us, that bring God's help to us today. Um, we got to remember, one of the things Jesus said when he was on earth was he said, my kingdom is not of this world. Okay, this is one of the ways that God helps. This is one of the ways that God brings good, that the craziness of our political situation reminds us, reminds us that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. Okay, Jesus says, my kingdom is not the expression of American politics on either side. Okay, we need to remember this. And it's, it's kind of helpful when both parties become demonstrably ridiculous in radically different ways. 
it's easier for us to go, oh, good, it's really clear to me that Jesus doesn't line up on one side or the other. Like, it's helpful for us. And God's like, I've been trying to tell you this for 100 years. Is this what we had to get to for you to wake up to this? It is good for us to know Jesus is not a Republican or a Democrat. He doesn't endorse either party without nuance. Jesus calls us to leave our parties and to follow him. Now, he'll send you back into a party, but with a heart that includes justice and unity. Because even if your party is right on an issue, and it's very rare, happens, but it's very rare that either party is 100% right on any issue. Okay? But even if your party is right on an issue, if you don't include in your efforts an aim for unity, you are going to make the problem worse. Because God's kingdom is not going to come with one party stepping on the neck of the other party. Okay? Pushing the other party around. Like, this is why it gets worse and worse and worse every four years. It's because there's too much power, there's too much money, and there's too much fame to be won, and both sides have developed a moral justification for squashing the other side. And when we engage in politics like this, we're doing the devil's work. No matter which side you're on, you're doing the devil's work when you engage in that way. And so the goodness of God is an opportunity for Christians to aim at unity, to refuse to polarize and to conduct themselves with love and understanding. And so the good that we have, the good that God brings to us in the middle of our political craziness is that Christians can lead in unity. You can make a decision that you are not, you're going to make every effort, you're not going to do this perfectly, but you're going to make every effort to try to understand that there are brothers and sisters that are part of the other party. There are people that Jesus loves that are in the other party. There are people Jesus died for in the other party. And your efforts at political like wisdom should include wanting to the best of your ability to reach across to your brothers and sisters who disagree with you and say, you know what? Our unity is actually more important than our political, I want to say political correctness, but that means something else, right? But our, our, about being right about a, a political issue. Jesus wants us to care for people, especially people in his family. And so if you can disagree with someone and love them by honoring the best version of what they think, Jesus is honored and God's goodness comes. And so we have a chance to do this because no one else is. Like no one else is doing this because you don't get clicks, you don't get views, you don't get advertisers, you don't get money, you don't get fame, you don't get power. If you care about people that you disagree with. Now, if you can go a step further, if you can find a new solution that incorporates the good and the bad, the good from both sides, like, man, then the kingdom comes. Then the kingdom comes. So God is here. He's working good into and in the midst of all of the craziness that's happened this year. 
And then maybe some of you are thinking, wait, if God is here to help, why aren't things better than they are? Like if God says, look, it's not my fault, but I'm here to help, then why isn't God's help helping? Like why are we as bad as we are? And I think the answer is the vision statement of our church. Like our church's vision statement for Harbor City Church, it's a renewed city through a renewed people to the glory of God. So renewed city through renewed people to the glory of God. And I think we've crafted our vision statement because this is how God works. This is how God's goodness is often uh, brought into life. It's a renewed city through renewed people. So the main way that God helps is by renewing us and changing us so that we come into more alignment with Jesus and then we bring his influence in. And so I would say that things are bad because people are bad. Like stuff is broken because people are broken. Like we don't have our act together. Now, all of the world's problems are not the fault of Harbor City Church. <laughs> Just a bunch of them in the circles that we run in, <laughs> right? The brokenness that we contribute, the badness that we bring, you know, but the world is not necessarily our responsibility. We want to pray that God's will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? We want God's kingdom to come, but we have pockets in our city where we can bring God's help. We have places where we can influence our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods, our partnerships within the city. I mean, this is where God calls us to be the bringers of this promise in Romans 8, 28, that God brings good, you know, for those who love him and are called according to his purpose, right? God wants us to bring his goodness into our city. So we don't have the numbers to change the world, right? We don't have the numbers even to change San Diego yet, yet, right? Um, but frankly, this is actually, this is why we want to have a strong and healthy church, um, this is why we want you to press into the goodness of God. We want you to have a deep and abiding relationship with God so that you would know him and understand how good he is. Because the more you know his goodness, the more his goodness fills your heart, right? And when you can begin to see God's goodness working in your life, working in the circumstances around you, and then you become someone who can bring more of that goodness into more of the city, and this is why we want you to consider yourselves part of our church. So I want you to become members of our church. That's why we want you to support the church financially as a volunteer to, and to practice the things that we ask you to practice um, as a church. Um, we're here. We exist as a church so that we can work together, so that we can be community for each other, so that we can build each other up, so that we can strengthen each other, so that because it's hard for me to see God's goodness in my life sometimes when it's overwhelming, but you can see it sometimes. And sometimes I need your eyes for my life and you need the same. Sometimes we get more of God from each other than we do directly from him. And so as a church, we're here to make you strong to help you experience renewal so that you can go, you can stand up and you can make a difference. And so 
God is offering to help. He has been working and his offer, his offer to help is, it's really to you, it's mostly an invitation. It's an invitation to go deeper with him. It's an invitation to deepen your relationship with him, to pursue him with all your heart. Like, so what does this mean? This means caring more about what he thinks and feels. This means wanting to do what he wants you to do, right? This means seeing the goodness that he expressed through Jesus, where Jesus came and lived perfectly because you never did. And he died for your sins so that you can be forgiven, right? There's this amazing grace that comes from God. And when you see him, you can trust him. When you see how good he's been, how much he loves you, you can trust him. And then you begin to obey him. You see what he wants. And if you don't know what he wants, that's why you spend time with him. You read the Bible because it tells us how God thinks and feels about things. You pray to him and you ask him, God, what do you want from me? How could I see your goodness in this situation? God, could you give me the wisdom to be able to understand who you are in this situation? And so reading the Bible, like learning, it means changing and growing. It's committing to being a new person. And when you've met God, when you've met God in the midst of all of this, you get strong and you become confident and you begin to realize that no matter what happens with the circumstances of life, there are some things that are just deeply true and will never change. Like God's love for you, God's presence with you. And when that happens, like that's where defiant mirth comes from. Because when things get difficult and God frees you to experience the difficulty and to be frustrated and sad and overwhelmed and, 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 and angry at times, like in all these ways, God says, yes, like feel these things, but know that we can handle these things together. So we talked about huge things that God has brought goodness about, but I just, I want to remind you, there's some other smaller things that have happened all year long. Some of these, I think, have happened to you. Some of these things have happened to people that you know. We've seen new levels of courage in our city, in our country. New levels of humility, of resilience and resolve. There's been a renewal of compassion and a concern about people that are hurting. There's been more rest this year. Right? Rest is a good thing. So there's been less hurry-up breakfast force feedings because you don't have to rush off to work. There's no lunch packing. The freedom to work in sweatpants. The freedom to not have to put on makeup. Um, introverts who aren't forced to be around people for eight to 10 hours a day. Like, this is a good thing that has been brought this year. Video chats. I know that many of you have Zoom fatigue because that's all your companies do is get on Zoom and that's exhausting for some people. But think about video chats now that all of us are much better at doing with friends and family. Like that we now can see and connect with people in big ways. Family Zoom calls are a thing that is pretty new this year. We're reminded that even though we're apart, we're connected. We're connected by mutual love and care for each other. 
I read somewhere, um, someone said this, just said, thank you 2020 for teaching me not to take friendships and family for granted. Thank you for showing me that we don't need to be in the same place to nurture our relationships. And then one kid that I read said this, the pandemic clipped my dad's wings. For the first time in my life, my father couldn't travel internationally for work. Pre-pandemic, he'd be away for one or two weeks a month, but the threat of the virus halted international travel, keeping him homebound. During this strange year, he finally had time to teach me how to ride a bike. God has been good in the midst of the big things, in the midst of our suffering, but God has been good in a multitude of ways in your life, in small things that are daily. And I want you to be able to see those things. Trust this promise, this Romans 8, 28 promise that God is bringing good to all those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so let's head into next year confident of God's goodness because we've seen so much of it this year. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for being our God. We thank you for being good to us in the midst of all of this year. And we're sorry we confess our sins together that we haven't focused on your goodness. We haven't emphasized the goodness and the power that you have displayed in the midst of all of the craziness, in the midst of the difficulty. And Lord, we want to turn from our bitterness. We want to turn from our anger, even our distance from you. We want to come back. We want to thank you for showing your goodness. Thank you, God, that the things that are broken are not your fault, but that you're here to help. We commit again, and for some of us, it's the first time we commit to following you. We want your more and more of your goodness in our lives, Father. We want to be able to see it. We want to be able to show other people that goodness. As we walk in this, God, please also help us. As we want to show other people your goodness, help us to both give them room to feel the negative emotions, to feel the honest reactions, but then to encourage them as well. Help us to encourage them to be able to see that you are also good and that you're working and that your plan for us is good. We don't know what's coming in 2021, Father, but we, we are stretching toward you so that we might receive your defiant mirth because we know that you'll be with us and we know that if you are for us, no one can be against us. So we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.